0: If you have a Bible with you, uh, I'd ask you to open it to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. It has been through the last couple of weeks that we've listened to Paul talk about how a follower of Jesus changes as they grow up. Now, we've kind of talked about two different categories of change. I think there's the changes that Jesus makes in us when we come to him. For instance, we, we spoke about the removal of our sinful nature. Uh, But we've also talked about other kinds of changes, changes that we can make, that we are empowered to make in our own lives as a result of what Jesus has already done. Last week, we talked about changing our mindset, changing the way we think. So we have a whole lot of changes going on, and all of those changes lead to one more very important implication, and that's where Paul's going to set his sights in the next couple of lines. So I pick up where we left off last week in Colossians chapter 3, beginning... In verse 5, Paul writes this So, in other words, in light of what we've already discussed, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, if you're barbaric, uncivilized, if you're a slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. I think that when most people ponder religion, and especially Christianity, they have this idea of how it's supposed to work and in many cases, that idea goes a little something like this. It goes, if I behave myself better, I do that so that I can get in good with God. That's how religion works. I'm gonna follow the rules, I'm gonna do the things I should do and not do the things I shouldn't be doing, and I'm doing all of those things so that I can get in good with God, right? I don't want them to be angry with me Anymore, But I want to point out to you that the description that Paul has been laying out for us over the last several weeks actually reverses that order. It kind of goes the other way around. Paul is saying, here's how religion works. It works this way. You got in good with God. And as a result of that, you're going to be able to behave yourself better. It's exactly the opposite way of how many of us think about it, isn't it? The maturing Christian understands that without Jesus, their life was out of control. Their life was out of control. Now, there's some somebodies in this room who could tell some stories. Am I right? There are a few. You don't have to amen out loud, but I can already see some of you nodding. Uh huh. There are some somebodies in this room that could tell some stories about what life looked like before they met Jesus. But here's what I want to say. There's also, I see those smiles in the room. (laughs) There's also some goody two-shoes in the room. There's some folks whose life didn't look all that bad before they met Jesus, you know what I'm saying? There's some folks in the room whose stories are not punctuated by sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? There's some folks who you know, kinda had it going on before they met Jesus, but here's the deal. Even they have to acknowledge that life without Jesus was out of control. It was out of control. Folks might have said, "Ah, they've always been good. Ah, they've always been nice. Ah, they've always been a good kind of person." No, 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 no. Even for them, life without Jesus was out of control. Let me tell you what I mean by that. People talk all the time about goodness. They talk all the time about morality and ethics and what it means to be good and how to be a good person. But here's the thing, without Jesus, there's no way to even define what good is. Without Jesus, there's no objective way to really talk about what is right, Jesus himself actually encountered this issue. We have this story from the Gospels. You can read about it, for instance, in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus is going around kind of doing his thing, doing what he did, and somebody comes up to him and says, Jesus, Jesus, we need to talk. You are such a good teacher, I have a question for you. And Jesus says, let me stop you right there before you get to your question. You just call me a good teacher. You just call me good. How are you gonna come call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. So what does it mean to you that you just called me good teacher? And the guy who was gonna ask the question was like, I I wasn't gonna ask that. (laughs) But Jesus is identifying this issue that apart from God, who's to say what is actually good? God is the only objective definition of what is good. And that's why. Even the wisest people that have ever lived have been stymied by philosophical questions, ethical questions about goodness and righteousness. Is it okay to lie? Many of us would quickly say, no, it's not okay to lie. But what if we're lying just to avoid hurting someone's feelings? Ooh. Is it okay to steal? Most of us would quickly say, no, you're not allowed to steal. But what if I'm stealing a loaf of bread to feed my family? Huh. Is it okay to kill? Most of us would quickly say, no, we don't kill. Good people don't kill, but what if I'm killing to defend the lives of somebody I love? What do I do then? We have these ethical dilemmas, we have these problems, we have these philosophical questions, and even the best among us haven't (laughs) settled on satisfactory answers, universal answers to questions like those. And even if you think you know what you would do in those situations, let me suggest to you that if I just add a few more details to the story, your answer might change. Let me just suggest to you that what one person, what one wise person thinks is the right answer could be very, very different from what another wise person thinks is the right answer. Let me just suggest to you that what you thought the right answer was when you were 25 years old has probably changed. By the time you're 50 years old. And guess what? It's going to change again by the time you're 75. What are we going to do? Without God, there's just no way of establishing a foundation for what is good. And so, no matter how good the world might think I am, (laughs) when I met Jesus... I had to establish a new mindset and so did you. That's what we were talking about last week. And when we establish that new mindset, finally, for the first time, we have an objective standard of what good is. And that means it's time to make some changes. And so let's start here. A Week ago, we talked about how a new nature requires a new mindset. Well, today we need to say a new mindset calls for a new lifestyle a new mindset calls for a new lifestyle. It was the philosopher and mathematician René Descartes, who was also a committed Christian, who left us this little gem. He said, I think, therefore I am. Can we amend Descartes here? Can we say, I think differently, therefore I am different. Our mindset is going to necessitate a new lifestyle. If we're thinking differently, We have to logically follow that up by becoming different. We talked last week about this new mindset, this thinking differently that we have in Christ. We talked about being intentional and about being persistent in our thoughts, understanding that we live according to the everlasting realities of heaven rather than the dying things of this earth. When we do that, that is going to inevitably result in a new way of living. Paul put it this way in verse five, and we read it just a moment or two ago. He said, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Then he goes on in the next few lines to name some of them very specifically, doesn't he? He says, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, Dirty language, lies. He's saying these are some of the examples of these sinful earthly things that still live within you after you come to Christ. You got to put them to death because a new mindset calls for a new lifestyle. You know what I noticed as I read through that list? There's a lot of things on that list that even Christians have a tendency to condone in ourselves. We, we chalk it up to just who we are, right? We say, I, I love Jesus, but I mean, I'm short-tempered. It's that, it's that Irish blood in me. It's just the way I am. Or we say, yeah, 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 you know, kind of got a dirty mind, but it's not like I act on it. Or we say, I'm a Christian, but look, you're gonna have to just get used to it. This is just the way I talk. I don't mean anybody harm, but this is how I grew up. It's just the way I talk. Paul says, you know what, folks? Growing up means it's not that simple anymore. Growing up in the faith means putting those things to death. Last spring, I was out walking through the forest preserve, as I often do on my days off. I walked through some of the bushes to get down to the lake shore. I was probably fishing or something. But I remember coming home, and uh, about a half an hour later, sitting on the sofa, I felt a little tickle on my leg. I was like, I reached out, I mean, absolutely blindedly What is that? And it was still tickling me. And then I looked down, it was a tick. I had a tick on my leg. Ah, Ticks aren't good, right? And so I grabbed a Kleenex and I got that tick and plucked him right off my leg and I smushed him. I'm not bragging. I opened the Kleenex and he was still crawling along in there. You can't smush a tick in a Kleenex. So you know what I'm gonna do? I've seen cartoons, I know how this works. I'm gonna put him on the ground. Picked up my foot and he just kind of crawled away. I could not kill that tick. So I got the Kleenex again. Fortunately, they can't move too quick. So I'm coming after you, I got that Kleenex. I got a knife. Put him on the counter. I turned one tick into two ticks. (laughs) Then he was dead. Put to death the sinful habits. Put to death the ticks on your leg. You don't want to, I don't care, if Pete is watching now, you can call me, that's okay. Here's the point, when it comes to the sinful habits that are left over in your life, it is not good enough, Paul says, to just brush it off. It's not good enough to step on it or smush it with a Kleenex. You got to get your knife out. You gotta be purposeful, you gotta be intentional, you gotta be calculating and cold-blooded. Put it to death, the Bible says. And there's a very logical reason for that. Did you ever stop to consider that some things weren't meant to be saved? Some things weren't meant to be saved. We have a lot of new parents in our congregation. The Christophersons welcomed HRCC baby number seven. In one year, one year, seven babies beat that. We have a lot of new parents in this congregation, and new parents save things, don't they? They get the baby books out. They get the memento boxes out. New parents Save things. You save baby's first outfit. You know, the the clothes that you brought baby home from the hospital in. You save baby's first lock of hair when when baby gets their first haircut. When I was a baby, it was fashionable to save baby's first shoes. Didn't we bronze them or something? How many people have baby's first shoes on the mantle somewhere at home, right? We save things. Parents, I'm giving you a word here, though. Some things weren't meant to be saved. Do not save baby's first dirty diaper. It wasn't meant to be saved. Do not save baby's first leftover milk bottle. That stuff will go sour and sink and grow. It was not meant to be saved. Some things are meant to be saved. Other things are not meant to be saved. Christians like to talk an awful lot, don't they, about being saved. And yes, of course, we rejoice in the fact that we have been saved. Salvation is ours through Jesus, but not everything was meant to be saved. Paul says in verse 8, now is the time to get rid of your anger. It wasn't supposed to be saved. Now is the time. Now that you've come to Jesus is the time to get rid of your rage because it wasn't meant to be saved. To get rid of your malicious behavior, it wasn't meant to be saved. To get rid of your dirty language, it wasn't meant to be saved. And he goes on and on, for instance, and for instance, and for instance. Yes, if you have submitted to your life to Jesus, you are saved. But you've got to remember, you weren't just saved from something, you were saved for something. And the life that you were saved for has a different vibe than the life that you were saved from. And in order to flourish in your new life, in order to grow up, as we've been talking so much about, you're gonna need to adopt a new lifestyle. And some things that you carried with you in your old life just weren't meant to be saved. Get rid of that dirty diaper. But look, that's not just a subtle or you know, a dressed-up way of the age-old sermon where the pastor says, everybody just try harder to be a better person. Mm -hmm. No, Paul gives us a much better, more effective, practical piece of advice than that. He says, do you want to be successful in developing a new lifestyle? There's plenty of folks that have come to Christ and then discovered that they weren't successful in developing a new lifestyle. Do you want to be successful in developing a new lifestyle? If you want to do that, you've got to be willing to see Jesus in yourself, to see Jesus in yourself. Can I remind you what I said a few minutes ago about that that kind of idea that so many of us have about the way religion works and that old way of thinking where we say, I've got to learn how to behave so that I can get in good with Jesus. It doesn't work. I'm not just saying religion doesn't work that way, I'm saying go ahead and try it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because apart from God, nobody even knows what direction they're going and nobody knows how to behave. We were all a mess before we met Jesus. We don't really know what good looks like. And that's why it's so essential to remember that as we're working on this new lifestyle, Jesus is already within you. He is already shaping you. He is already cut away your sinful nature. He is already filling you with his spirit. He is already empowering you to be his new creation. You are not doing it on your own. Is what Paul said in the 10th verse. He said, put on your new nature as you learn to know your creator and become like him. It's happening to become like him. Two weeks ago, we had uh, Malcolm and Joy Henderson here to give us an update from Haiti. Malcolm and Joy are known and loved by so much of the HRCC congregation. You may or may not know that our own Pastor Garrett Black does a spot-on impersonation of Malcolm Henderson. (laughs) Garrett does an impersonation of Malcolm that if you know Malcolm, will have you rolling because it is spot-on and it's really funny. Malcolm, I hope you're not watching. <laughs> Garrett, I kind of hope he's watching. <laughs> right? Ask him to do it later. Maybe he'll do it for you. Here's the thing. Garrett's able to do this impersonation of Malcolm Henderson because Garrett's spent time with Malcolm. He's been in Haiti with Malcolm. He's been on the field with Malcolm. He's been up late at night talking with Malcolm. He's welcomed Malcolm. Miss Malcolm's been here. They've been out to lunch together. They've been here together. They've been there. They've spent time together and Malcolm's got this unique persona and personality and things that are just begging to be lampooned and and Garrett's got it. Garrett's got it, but he got it because he has spent so much time getting to know Malcolm. In the same way, Christian, the only way you're going to become more like Jesus is recognizing that he is with you and capitalizing on that opportunity to learn to know him, to learn to know him. So here's where the rubber meets the road with that. Next time you screw up, (laughs) somebody say amen. Next time you screw up, next time those sinful earthly things lurking within you, remember when Paul said that? Next time those things overwhelm you and cause you to stumble, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to think that you're a goof, that you're a lost cause, that you're a loser, that you're incapable of ever doing anything right. I don't want you to curl up in total discouragement. I don't want you to stop trying to ever do anything significant for Christ or for his kingdom ever again. I don't want you to think it doesn't work for you. It works for everybody else. I don't want you to do any of those things. No, next time you stumble, here's what I do want you to do. I want you to recognize your weakness. I want you to confess it to the Lord and I want you to pray like this. I want you to pray, Jesus, I know that your spirit is within me and I wanna grow. So help me to know you more so that I might become more like you. Do we hear that prayer? There's, There's no shame in stumbling. There's no shame in stumbling. What are you gonna do with it, Christian? Jesus, I want to I know you more. And look, I'm not asking for the world, Jesus, because you're not, I'm not trying to find my way back to you. No, you're within me. Your spirit is within me. Jesus, I want to know you more so that I can become more like you. Let me give you one more important thing we need to do in this new lifestyle. We already said see Jesus in yourself. Now you got to see Jesus in others. You got to see Jesus in others. Now, let me clarify what exactly I mean by that. We believe is one of the foundational matters of our faith, according to what the Bible says, that God has created all of humanity in his image. At the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter one, that's made very clear that every human being that has ever existed has been created in The image of God Um, that talks about or that speaks to our understanding of the sanctity, the inherent sanctity of human life. It's something that we recognize in all human beings. That is not what I'm talking about right now. When I say learn to see Jesus in others, what I am talking about is the very specific nature and character of Jesus Christ, which we recognize in fellow followers of Jesus In whom his spirit dwells. In whom his spirit dwells. When I see another follower of Jesus, I need to learn to see Jesus in that person. I need to learn to not see somebody who I might have an argument with over doctrine or over theology. I need to not learn to see somebody that I need to nitpick and try and figure out why they aren't like I am. No, I need to learn to see Jesus in that person. When I encounter a brother or a sister in the faith, I need to see somebody in whom God has placed his spirit so that the character of Jesus might be revealed in and through them. Learn to see Jesus in others. Now that doesn't mean that it's my job to pretend that all Christians are perfect. That would be a pretty tough job, wouldn't it? No, that's not the point. It doesn't mean that I ignore faults or blindly defend somebody else's actions just because they claim the same faith that I claim. That's not what it means. It means that I do not invent reasons to act as if they're different from me. Paul said it this way in the last verse we read today. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Do we remember? Oh, remember way back to the very beginning of this journey through Colossians. The first umpteen weeks. Paul was just saying again and again in different ways. Jesus is all that matters. Jesus is all that matters. Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is the most important thing. He was saying it again and again. I basically had to preach the same sermon like six weeks in a row. Because Paul just kept on hitting that point home again and again and again. Now do we see why? Now do we see why? He wanted us to know. So when you're looking at your brothers and sisters, you gotta learn to see Jesus in them because that's all that matters. Paul gives us some categories. He talks about Jews and Gentiles, civilized, uncivilized. He talks about upper class, lower class. These are just a few examples. They aren't meant to be exhaustive. There's other lists that Paul gives in other letters where he's talking about exactly the same thing. And he gives some other examples. He he talks about men and women, gender. He, He talks about all kinds of different things, but it's the same point. And the point is this, there are lots of ways that we tend to categorize people. But in Christ, those categories no longer separate us. Now, each of the examples that he gives Did you notice these would have had specific connotations in Paul's day because to the people that Paul was writing to, the assumption was that Jews were more favored by God and Gentiles, not so much. Uh, The civilized were more favored by God, but the uncivilized, not so much. The upper class was more favored by God, but the lower class, not so much. Men were more favored by God and women, not so much. And Paul's saying, no, 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 can't do it anymore. You can't do it anymore. Our new lifestyle demands that we see Jesus in all others. There are not degrees of God's blessing and favor among his children. Do we hear that? There are not degrees of blessing and favor among God's children. We do not get to separate ourselves and one another that way. I wonder, I wonder how Paul would have written this passage today. Can you just imagine with me for a minute? If Paul was writing to the church in Downers Grove today, what categories would have you? Jew, Gentile? Probably not. Not really relevant to the way we think. But I think he would have had a few others. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Democrat or Republican, rich or poor, young or old, traditional or cutting edge. It doesn't matter if you like drums with your worship music or pipe organs, incense or maybe a smoke machine and some lasers. It doesn't matter who you voted for in the last election, what you do for a living, whether you wore a mask or got vaccinated. You are not allowed to use those categories to separate yourselves from one another anymore. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all y'all. He would have said all y'all, I think, at the end. (laughs) Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all y'all. Let's land the plane. When caterpillars grow up, they look different, right? They have a new nature. Look at the screen. As, as they grow up, they, they change. They aren't even really caterpillars anymore. We don't call them caterpillars. We have a whole new name for them. They're butterflies. They are new creations. And because they are new creations, they think differently. They don't see the world as caterpillars do anymore. They think like butterflies, And because they think differently, they live differently. You can't find them lying around in the mud or hiding in the folds of a leaf. They don't confine themselves to just crawling along branches and sticks. They live differently. They're grown up. And here's the thing. For us, growing up means becoming more like Jesus. Growing up means becoming more and more like Jesus. I'm gonna invite Jenna and the team to come back to the stage because we're gonna close today by by just receiving a song that they've prepared for us. Growing up means becoming more and more like Jesus. And what we've heard Paul say to the church today is you can't be like Jesus apart from Jesus. You wanna be like Jesus You can't do that if you're distant from him. You can't do that if you're apart from him. So Jenna has a song I've asked her to sing. The band's going to play. There's no words on the screen. This isn't something that I necessarily am inviting you to sing along with. Rather, I want you to just hear it. I want you to receive it. I want you to listen to the words. I want you to give it uh, a place of prayer in your heart. I want you to make it your prayer today. And I'd invite you to do one of two things as you listen. And as you receive. Many in this room are going to pray the prayer of a believer. We're going to pray that prayer that I said earlier. We're going to say, Jesus, I know that your spirit is within me because I have submitted my life to your lordship. I have bowed my knee before you I have asked, Lord, that you would be my savior. I know that I am a new creation. I know that your spirit is within me. But Lord, I want to grow up. I want to grow. So help me to know you more. Because that's the way I'm going to become more like you. But I believe there's others in this room who would say, I don't think I'm learning. I've tried to learn from Jesus, but I've been doing it from a distance. I've been trying to change my own behavior so that I could please God or get in good with God, but I hear now why that has never worked for me. So I'm gonna reverse it. (laughs) Starting today, I'm gonna reverse the process. I'm gonna turn this whole thing upside down and backwards. I'm going to believe in faith, God, that what your word has said is true. And I'm going to just choose to submit myself to your presence, Lord, I don't have the religious language that some other folks have. I can't recite chapter and verse. I'm just going to tell you that what I've got is yours. And I need you close to me. If I'm ever going to please you, if I'm ever going to be good with you, if I'm ever going to do anything worth anything, the only way to do that is to say, God, come on. You make that your prayer today, you're going to walk out of here with some wigs you never knew you had. Consider those words as we hear this song. Church, I'd invite like you to stand as we move. Lord Jesus, you have heard our prayer today. You have heard our united prayers as we have prayed with one voice, one mind. But Lord, over the last few moments, you have heard the individual prayers that have gone up from every corner of this room. You have heard people as they have submitted to you Lord, the very specific need that they find themselves with in this moment. Lord, you've heard the voices and the prayers of seasoned, experienced believers saying, God, I need your spirit to fall fresh on me today. I need more of you today. I recognize that even some of the things that I put to death years ago still have a tendency to creep up in my life. And so I recognize that there is still work to be done in my life. I rejoice in those prayers today. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to hear that. You are faithful to receive and you are faithful to respond to those prayers today. God, I believe that at the same time, you heard other voices in this room that said, God, I'm maybe a little bit newer to this faith thing. Jesus you and I just met recently, I don't feel like I've gotten very far along this journey to butterflyhood, but I recognize now why it is that some of these growing up challenges have been difficult for me. Lord Jesus, would you take more of me that I might be more like you? God, you have honored those prayers today. Lord, I believe that in this room you have also heard the prayers of those who have said, God, I didn't know that this is what I was supposed to be doing. I have spent my whole life trying to be better just so that maybe I would please you or feel better about the fact that I'm trying to please you. I don't know. God, I believe that in the very sincere faith of new fresh hearts today, you heard for the first time a plea that said, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. God, you honored that prayer today. Church, hear my voice. If you prayed anything like any one of those three prayers, I'm here as God's representative to tell you God heard you today. God heard you today. And he said, yes. He said, yes, my child. He said, yes, my child. You walk away from this place today knowing that God has changed you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for your transformational power. It doesn't matter if we've walked with you 90 years. You're still working in our hearts today. You're still changing us today. Thank you for what you're doing. More of you, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, as we go from this place today, help us to step into the realities that we've been talking about.
1: gonna be we're gonna be thinking differently
0: and as a result of thinking differently Lord we're gonna be living differently remind us often of what you're speaking to us in these moments highlight in in our eyes often the opportunities that you are leaving in front of us and God call us often to return to your altar alone. With just a few, or again with the crowd next yes. We pray that you would be honored in all of these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody says, say it loud now. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, be blessed on your way out. Reach somebody, head over to the kitchen and grab some of those groceries we have left over. it up somebody that will be blessed that includes yourself. We'll see
1: you next week.